Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 5. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Every week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in NYC. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI, a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. I'm Lee Zishi. I use she and her pronouns. Um, and today I'm joined by Patrick Robbins, who is a member of the Eco-Socialist Working Group and coordinator of the Energy Democracy Alliance. And today we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people are talking about. Uh, we'll be talking about public power after Con Ed has seen massive um, out across New York City, um, all five boroughs. And last night, the Eco-Socialist Working Group held a town hall in Astoria. Um, It was planned even before these crazy blackouts, but talking about public power and taking back our power. But first, we're going to have the headlines with Jack Devine. Yo, what's good, New York? This is Jack Devine with Revolutions Per Minute's Headlines, brought to you by The Thorn. After the U.S. Department of Justice declined to prosecute NYPD officer Danielle Pentelio for federal civil rights violations in connection with the murder of Eric Garner, political pressure is increasing on Mayor de Blasio to fire the officer. Leaders in the city's African-American community want de Blasio to see that Pentelio does not escape all punishment for killing Garner while arresting him for selling loose cigarettes. Five years later, New Yorkers have not forgotten Eric Garner. Thousands of protesters filled the streets of Manhattan this past Wednesday to carry on the fight against the white supremacist police state. Racial terror comes in many forms. ICE attempted several raids in Brooklyn and Queens last week, according to city officials. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other elected officials warned New Yorkers to stay vigilant for more possible raids over the next week. Organizers continue to risk arrests and direct actions against ICE facilities across the country. Speaking of institutionalized racism, Con Edison purposely throttled service to around 50,000 residents in predominantly working-class black neighborhoods in southeast Brooklyn on Sunday. Unsurprisingly, Con Edison did not reduce or shut down power in Park Slope, Brooklyn Heights, Borham Hill, or Cobble Hill. This week's dangerous heat wave could be a preview of eco-apartheid in New York City as climate change worsens. The warden at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, who oversaw the power failure last winter that left inmates without heat or power during the coldest weeks of the year, has been promoted. On Friday, the same facility broke out into a fire in the middle of last week's heat wave. Across the city, nearly a third of seniors were out of reach of the city's existing network of cooling centers during last week's heat wave. The increasing failures of Con Ed has spurred increasing demands for public ownership of energy utilities in New York. We'll discuss this critical issue in more detail throughout today's episode. Governor Cuomo signed into law the most ambitious legal mandate for cutting greenhouse gases in the nation, requiring an 85% reduction from 1990 levels by 2050 and a carbon-free electrical system by 2040. Last year, 
Cuomo put forward his own much less comprehensive climate bill that refused to set a timeline for economy-wide emission reductions. Activists, under the coalition New York Renews, credit the stronger bill's passage to a sustained multi-year campaign. The thousands dead in the aftermath of the disaster capitalist-fueled crisis of Hurricane Maria, the austerity implemented by the Financial Control Board as a means of Wall Street further profiting off the predatory debt bubble they created, and the leaked chats of their bigoted right-wing governor has lit the flames of revolutionary struggle in Puerto Rico. After weeks of mass protest, an estimated one million people, a third of the island's population, participated in a general strike against the violence of American colonialism. Here in New York, the Puerto Rican diaspora took over Grand Central in solidarity with the revolutionary struggle on the island. Collective action against the American empire has also arisen in Hawaii. Several hundred native Hawaiians and Hawaiian rights activists have been camped for almost a week, blocking the road in order to keep construction equipment from Mauna Kea, a sacred site in traditional Hawaiian culture. Solidarity with all those struggling against the ceaseless force of American imperialism. The Intercept covered the major volunteer operation continuing to support Tiffany Gabon's campaign during the election's recount, which may stretch into late July without any clear conclusion. For more updates on New York City electoral politics, check out this week's edition of The Thorn at thethorn.nyc. That's it for this week's headlines. Now back to Lee Zishi on the struggle for public power here in New York City. Our daily headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by New York City DSA Electoral Working Group, covering local politics and radical activism. You can subscribe at thethorn.nyc. And so this is Lee Zishi. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute. And today I am joined by Patrick Robbins. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Hey, thank you for having me, Lee. Um, so I always really like to start off the show a little bit, um, just kind of introducing yourself. How, First of all, how did you, you know, become a democratic socialist? And can you maybe talk a little bit about some of your work in the energy space? Uh, sure. So um, I started uh, attending the democratic socialist, um, eco-socialist group meetings um, a few years ago. Um, and I would say that uh, it's sort of, I mean, I guess everybody makes these kinds of caveats. I don't know that I would necessarily ideologically align like 100% or identify myself as a, as a democratic socialist. Um, but I see that they're doing good work. And I try to support as uh, as best I can. Um, and I certainly believe in a um, energy system that is not determined by capitalism and an economic system that um, operates outside the bounds of what's possible under capitalism, for sure. Um, I got interested in this work. Um, you know, originally I thought I was going to be a writer. I thought I was going to do you know something completely different with my life. And I learned about the climate crisis um, when I was in just when I was in undergrad and, you know, the scale and what's involved seemed like, um, you know, this is clearly the most important thing that, you know, that anyone could be could be involved in. And then it became much more personal for me um, in uh, 2012 when I learned about a gas pipeline that they were building into my mom's old neighborhood in the Greenwich, in Greenwich Village. Um, and I joined up with that and started fighting against fossil fuel infrastructure directly. And that became sort of my entryway into... Um, into the climate movement overall, and I've you know occupied a number of different spaces um, in the movement. I'm currently working 
uh, as a as the coordinator for the Energy Democracy Alliance, which is an alliance of 25 different organizations, grassroots groups, um, policy advocates uh, across the state who all believe in an energy system that is renewable, equitable, accountable, and local. Um, but I am here, as I mentioned, as a member of the DSA Eco-Socialist Working Group, and I see him pronouns. It's funny that you're saying you like occupied uh, a couple different roles within this movement because you've also yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. you've also helped you know <laughs> occupy pipelines and some streets, occupy various streets. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be we'll be talking today too more about how Con Edison is actually proposing to raise our weight, our rates to expand pipelines. Um, other pipelines in New York City. Um, you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM. And as you heard earlier, we are in the second day of our WBAI Summer Fund. So if you like the content that we produce every single Tuesday here on WBAI, covering the organizing going on in New York City, uh, you can call to pledge at 5 516-620-3602. You can also go to give to the number two WBAI.org or text WBAI to 41444. And yeah, help us help keep democratic socialism on the air. Um, so we're gonna start off today's show um you know, last night in Astoria, there was a town hall that was being held um, by the Democratic Socialist Eco Working Group um, about the the Coned rate hike. Coned wants to raise our rates for an, a number of reasons. Um, and then, you know, this week, Coned has been all over the news for for blackouts, so it became a very hot topic. Um, so let's go to some sound from that public power town hall last night. Basically, what this town hall is about is about democracy. So right now, we kind of consider democracy ending and beginning of childhood. But especially us at NYCDSA, we think that we can extend that notion of democracy because we believe that we should have power over that which powers our lives. And what quite, quite literally has more power over our lives than Con Edison and the utility model. Believe it to DSA is always so forward thinking they plan an event around Connecticut before the White House. So, <laughs> shout out to DSA. Connecticut has been letting us down time and time again. But we had a question about what does Connecticut do with our money, and then you can make further already. Uh, but they subsidized a $9.5 million salary of CEO John McAvoy. The annual retainers of $115,000 for each member of Connecticut's board of directors. And the huge dividends for the investors. The investors, my knowledge, have never missed a payment. Uh, paid for $1.4 million in trade associates like the Edson Electric Institute and American Gas Association, perpetuate unjust energy cost burdens that punish the poor, pay Connect lawyers who argue to make our energy bills even higher. Uh, Connect wants to raise our rates even more to pay for $200 in gas infrastructure, $1.8 million for a strike contingency, $60 million in environmental cleanup. For those who don't know, you may have heard, the last rate hike. They got and asked for $300 million to fix the relay station uh, in Manhattan that would have prevented the 73,000 people from losing their uh, license. Anyway, they made a decision not to fix that relay station. We don't know where that money's going. They're now asking $625 million to fix that same relay station. Um, this is who we're dealing with in Con Ed. 
Uh, I have to say, not very often, but I am full and complete support of Governor Cuomo in going after Con Edison and threatening to take them out of New York City. I want that to start now. I think we're start that now. We also need to make sure that Con Ed is including people of color in the new renewable energy economy and that they are hiring these people to be part of this industry. Climate justice is based on the principle that frontline communities are the most vulnerable to climate change and therefore must play an integral role in planning for the renewable and regenerative energy economy. Just this afternoon, I was on Gitmars visiting the businesses that have been out of power since Saturday. Martha's Bakery across the street, the Meat House, they have over $30,000 in damages, some of the businesses. Trade Fair had a 30-foot container that they were throwing their food out because it all spoiled. I mean, it's common sense. You don't have electricity, you don't have a refrigerator, you gotta throw away the spoiled food. Martha's Bakery is a bakery. There's a lot of eggs. There's a lot of, there's a lot of dairy. They have a lot of damage. Look, bottom line, is in business, you don't get a raise if you don't do your job. Period. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't know what y'all are doing, but Connecticut isn't doing their job. I was here with the story of Morealis. Uh, very scary. We have two young kids. I'm like, do I wake them up and grab them and go? Like, where do I go? What's going on? Just the sky is blue. I feel like there's this monopoly and you have bad service, and you're just like stuck. How does that work in a democracy, uh, that you're stuck with this kind of outcome? Uh, so for me, I don't think they should get a raise. This whole thing is based off the wrong thinking. It's based off the fact that they think if you use capitalism and privatization, that'll always give you better results. Well, this shows that that experiment fails. Investor-owned utility companies have little incentive to reduce energy use because the more that we use, the more that they profit. It's time for the public license of these utilities to be revoked and for us to move on to something better. Public utilities, public ownership of the grid, public power for all. We need public power. Our utilities need to be publicly owned and democratically controlled. We need public So that was some of the testimony that uh, citizens were giving last night. Over 100 people showed up to Astoria in the middle of a lot of rain. Um, personally, on my way there to get to Astoria, um, all of a sudden everyone's phones started like beeping and like an alarm sound because we were all getting flash flood warnings. And I was like, wow, this is really what climate change in the apocalypse is going to be like. Uh, public advocate Jamani Williams was there. He talked about, you know, the 9.5 million dollar uh, salary for Con Edison CEO, how their board members get $150,000, how money is going to trade associations like the American um, Natural, Natural Gas Association, which pushes frack gas. Uh, there's also $1.8 million within the Con Ed rate case to um, 
uh, union bust. Uh, we also heard from Assembly Member Aravella Samotas talking about the different businesses that have been impacted by Con Ed's power outages. Um, we heard from Anel Hernandez from the New York City Environmental Justice Alliance talking about the need for environmental uh, justice as we move forward. And lots and lots of DSA members, you know, calling for public power. Um, so, Patrick, why did the DSA Eco-Socialist host this town hall? So uh, the latest blackouts are really just um, the latest in a long, long list of um, Con Ed putting the public at risk and putting New York's uh, most vulnerable residents at risk for private profit. The, um, the DSA Eco-Socialists held this town hall because right now Con Edison is involved in what's called a rate case. So these are cases that determine uh, how much we pay for energy or how much we pay for electricity. And because a utility, a distribution company, is a regional monopoly, um, there is a rate that is set by the oversight body, which is the Public Service Commission. Um, and the Public Service Commission ultimately, uh, you know, works with the uh, adjudicated law judge to uh, decide what those rates are going to be. And so we are right now in a moment where Con Edison is actually trying to raise uh, the rates for everyone in their territory. And they can't just decide to do that. They have to go through a process called a rate case where they make the case that this is necessary. And uh, usually these proceedings are very technocratic, very insidery, really only confined to a number of, um, you know, either utilities themselves, state, uh, state agencies, city agencies, or, you know, various highly technocratic uh, groups, the democratic socialist, eco-socialist group believes that this represents an opportunity to open up these cases, get the public's voices heard, and ensure that Con Ed isn't able to, you know, really just get a raise off of our backs. And what are some of the things that um, Con Ed wants to do? Why are they raising our rates? What's what's in this rate hike? Well, for one thing, it's going to go to subsidize the $9.5 million salary of their CEO, uh, John McAvoy. Um, it goes to uh, 1.4 million in dues to trade associations. These are trade associations that lobby against our interests, against a transition away from fossil fuels and onto renewable energy, um, and they do it with our money um, and pay for their own lawyers who argue, um, you know, argue to make our energy bills higher. As well as gas infrastructure, which I know we're going to go into um, a little bit later on in the program. Um, but it really does not include a lot of the things that we need to see. Um, it does not include uh, things like comprehensive uh, and cost-appropriate energy efficiency measures for low-income New Yorkers. It doesn't do um, you know, what we need to do in terms of transitioning to renewable energy. So um, we are completely opposed to the rate hike, and we were really, really heartened to see so many people turning out last night in the pouring rain to oppose it with us. Yeah, I mean, it was a really amazing event. Um, you know, the organization I work for, Sane Energy, um, we're a part of this rate case, and um, part of it goes into this thing called settlement, and you can't specifically talk about what's happening there, um, like what people are proposing and what they're not, since it's a negotiation. Um, but I can tell you what they're not talking about, and they're definitely not having that conversation that we heard last night um, about putting environmental justice communities first, um, the urgency of climate change, you know, that kind of thing is not being talked oh, about sure. in this room. And it was just really amazing to see so many people turn out. Like I said, I mean, you pretty much had to, you know, 
get, go through a monsoon to, to get there. And even on my way home, I heard the announcement um, on the train. It, there was three different lines that weren't running because of power outages. Um, yet there was, you know, over 100 people there, a lot of really very powerful public testimony. And I recommend uh, going to the DSA Eco-Socialist Working Group. Uh, they have a Facebook page where uh, you can check out the live stream and, and just listen to what people are saying because it's, it's not being said in the room where a lot of this is being negotiated. And, and to get that many people out in the rain, um, DSA did a lot of canvassing and, and you participate in some, in some of that. How did that go? Oh, absolutely. And that, um, you know, that really landed very well with a lot of the people who we were talking to. You know, I went out and canvassed in uh, Manhattan over in Chelsea, which, uh, you know, that area was subject to a blackout last week. Um, you know, we're, there's been just two blackouts following in rapid succession, and the one last week knocked out power to 72,000 customers. And, you know, I spoke to people who worked in restaurants who, you know, this was happening during, you know, this is the summer, this is tourist season, right? So they've got, you know, a lot of their revenue, a lot of those small businesses depend on, you know, customers this time of year. Um, and so, you know, it really, it really was in- interesting to me how deeply felt this was with the people who I was speaking to on the street. Um, and I, you know, I got a number of people who agreed to come out to the town hall. I saw a couple of them last night, which was really exciting. Um, I actually, <laughs> you know, it's funny, we were, you know, we were canvassing over in the area near the theater district. And I had one woman who was saying, you know, oh, well, you know, I, I was, you know, I know about, I'm not going to even be able to say her name, but one, you know, high profile R&B singer from the 90s who was scheduled to do a show, she didn't, sh- you know, she couldn't do her show. Let me put you in touch with her, you know, <laughs> so there's, there's all these sort of different, um, you know, connections and different ways in which people are, people are um, experiencing these things. But I think that the message last night was really clear, is that New Yorkers are fundamentally opposed to any fixed rate charge uh, increase. Um, you know, people are already struggling to pay their power bills. I think next to your rent, it's one of the, you know, one of the biggest things that low income New Yorkers struggle with. And after a, you know, blackout that affected uh, 50,000 people, a blackout that affected 72,000 people, both happening in rapid succession, the idea that they think they deserve a raise really boggles my mind. And a lot of people brought that up last night as well. Yeah. And I mean, those are actually just the really big ones. There were smaller outages too oh, yeah, in absolutely. Staten Island. You know, within the last couple of weeks, there have been outages in all five it's a very boroughs. Good point. Yeah. And I think it also just really shows how unprepared our public utilities are for climate change. And it's just a really in, an insane thing. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but, you know, what else were people really talking about last night at the public power town hall? Well, people were voicing a real range of concerns. You know, people were talking about how um, this isn't anything new. Um, we've seen uh, we've seen blackouts, you know, on an ongoing basis, and if anything, they're getting worse. Um, and so the idea that uh, we are expected to pay a raise for a decrease in in services, but then on a more fundamental level, talking about what kind of future this is steering us towards. Are we going to more deeply entrench the fossil fuel system and the fossil fuel infrastructure that has brought us to, um, you know, the brink of catastrophe on a global scale and is currently uh, creating misery for you know so many people across the globe already, and you know taking it from a place that is solely about economics to really about values. Like, is this who we are? Is this what we're going to do? Um, and 
I was very excited last night to hear so many people, not just DSA members who, you know, I might expect this from, but so many people who had, you know, either come in from canvassing or um, even elected officials talking about the need to take this out of private hands, saying there's some things that do not belong in the capitalist marketplace, and energy is one of them. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM. And we are in our second day of our summer pledge drive. And so if you're really liking this conversation today, if you think we're talking about the Con Ed blackouts in a way that nobody else is and you know, talking about public power, which probably isn't happening on a lot of other radio stations, you know, please become a a a WBAI buddy. We can't do this without you. Um, You can call 516-620-3602 to pledge. You can also go to give the number to WBAI.org or text WBAI to 41444. Um, I'm Lee Zishi. This is Revolutions Per Minute. We have Patrick Robbins in the studio with us today. We are talking about um, the eco-socialist public power campaign and an amazing town hall that happened last night in Astoria where a lot of people were talking about taking back our power and the recent troubles Con Ed is having. And I'm actually going to, now we're going to play a clip from Patrick himself giving testimony last night. Uh, so hello everyone, my name is Patrick. I'm with the Energy Democracy Alliance. We are a statewide coalition of 25 different organizations from across New York, all of whom believe in an energy system that is renewable, equitable, accountable, and local. And I'm here tonight opposing these uh, rate hikes for a number of reasons. Um, these rate hikes really fly in the face of the principles that we as an alliance hold dear, that I know that members of this audience hold dear as well. So um, what we're talking about when we talk about a fixed rate, I don't know if people have been hearing that term being thrown around, but that's a flat fee that you pay on your bill, uh, regardless of how much energy you're using and regardless of how much you make. And so, you know, we have some of the highest fixed rates in the country, um, hovering somewhere around 15 I think um, they want to raise it to 17. Now that might not seem like a big deal if you make six figures, upwards of six figures, you're doing just fine. But to New Yorkers who are struggling, New Yorkers who are on a fixed income, that is um, that's really enormous. And we've already seen that the private utilities have no problem kicking people out of their homes if they can't pay up this fee that they are forced to pay. So it's a profoundly unequal and inequitable way of running an energy system. So that was Patrick uh, giving his public comment last night at the Public Power Town Hall in Astoria. You were talking about this thing called a fixed rate. Um, Can you explain what that is? I mean, we all have it on our bill, but I'm sure a lot of people don't understand what it actually is. Sure. So a fixed rate is a flat monthly fee that every customer pays um, regardless of the amount of electricity they consume and regardless of their income. So it represents for... Uh, you know, high income New Yorkers for people who are making, you know, well upwards of six figures. It does not, as I mentioned in the testimony last night, it might not seem like a huge deal. But for New Yorkers who are really really living month to month, um, it does represent um, a major, major increase. And the other thing that I find so crazy about it is that it's not tied to the electricity that you consume, nor is it tied to any other external indicator like income or anything like that. So it represents um, a really reactionary way of 
uh, charging for energy services um, and one that is really profoundly unequal. And so um, there needs to be a lot to a, a lot of work needs to be done to reform how that um, how that cost is calculated, but raising fixed rates is not anywhere on the list. Yeah, and last night in your uh, public comment, you mentioned that you know having really high fixed uh, rates kind of disincentivizes energy efficiency. Can you talk a little bit about what energy efficiency is and how that's impacted by a, f- a high fixed rate? Yeah, definitely. So energy efficiency um, is essentially uh, getting more work out of the energy that you're consuming. And so um, we tend to think of it in uh, in the in terms of building stock. So in terms of whether or not you have an energy efficiency building, whether or not you're able to do the work, for instance, in the winter of heating your home with um, the, with less power, and in the summer whether you're able to do the work of cooling your home with less power. Um, you know, I think that that is certainly the way in which energy efficiency. That, that's the example that I like to use because it's a very tangible example, particularly here in New York City, um, and what raising fixed charges does is it um, further decreases the connection between um, you know incentives that people might have uh, for for conserving energy or or in, you know using less energy in their daily lives and so it diminishes the incentive to pursue energy efficiency measures um, and also because utilities have a fixed revenue requirement it can lead to um, lower volumetric charges, the charges for, um, you know, for the electricity that you're receiving. And so it um, further diminishes the relationship between uh, the amount of energy you're using and what you're what you're seeing on your bills. Does that <laughs> am I am I coming through? Yeah, that... no. I mean, if you're paying so much anyway, like, what's the incentive to use less? Well, exactly, exactly <laughs> right. And so, not only is it profoundly unequal and uh, burdening low-income New Yorkers far more than the rest of the population, but it also um, is really it really flies in the face with some of the utilities' rhetoric about being you know deeply concerned about energy efficiency or whatever it is they say. Yeah, I mean, like I'm somebody you know I've been doing work around fracking for six years, so I really hardly use any gas in my own apartment. I use you know an electric burner instead, and I use like a plug-in heater because I'm getting renewable energy. Yet I still pay incredibly high national grid bills just because of those like fixed rates. Um, you know, I'm doing it anyway because I don't want to use frac gas. But, you know, if there's no incentive really besides that for me to use less. And there was actually a bill that was introduced uh, last year in the New York State Legislature. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited that you brought that up. So um, this was a bill that was introduced by State Senator Jen Metzger. um, And this is a bill that would impact rate charges across the state, not just in Con Ed territory, but um, across New York as a whole. And it would greatly reduce and sort of reorganize what utilities are allowed to charge with respect to fixed rates and how they're allowed to calculate that cost. Um, And it would amount to a, um, a significant diminishing of fixed rates across the state. And so we're excited about that. Um, You know, I know that we're out of session as far as the state legislature goes, but I know that both um, personally, and you know, just in terms of the work of the Energy Democracy Alliance, we'll be really excited to see um, you know how that manifests next year. I'm sure Con Ed and National Grid aren't. <laughs> I'm sure that they are. I'm sure that they're watching it. You know, um, I think that uh, there's more attention being paid to the utilities, um, thanks largely in you know 
because of the work that the democratic socialists have been doing to politicize what has otherwise been a very specialized and very technocratic space. And so I'm really, really proud and really grateful to be doing, you know, doing that work alongside. Yeah, it's been very exciting to see so many people now paying attention to Con Ed, to National Grid, what they're proposing. And somebody that's kind of really been on the forefront of that in New York City is Council Member Costa Constantinides. And so he actually worked with the Democratic Socialist, the Eco-Socialist Working Group to have this town hall in Astoria. Uh, DSA Eco-Socialists had actually requested from the Public Service Commission for there to be a a public hearing in Astoria because that's where they're proposing to put a lot of money into a liquefied natural gas plant. They want to expand a frack gas pipeline in Astoria. And the Public Service Commission denied that request. So um, Council Member Constantinides, you know, stepped up to the plate and helped host this thing. And so we're going to hear a clip from him last night. Uh, In the city council, we passed a resolution back in April as part part of the Common Mobilization Act uh, uh, in support of not having the wind pipeline. And Con Edison, not having it. No, we don't want it. Con Edison and National Grid, who I don't want to look up the hook tonight either, came before our committee and we asked them, where is the data that shows that you need this natural gas? Show us data. Show us your numbers. To this date, we're now three months past that hearing. I have not received the data from either Con Edison nor from National Grid to show their demonstration for need on natural gas. Because they don't want to share it because they know it's not real. They want to scare us. They want to tell us they're the only ones who can solve our energy problems. We have to pay them to take care of us. Those days are over. We need a renewable energy future. We need to start planning our our future here in New York City without natural gas, without fossil fuels. We've postulated with the CUNY Law School Center for Environmental and Urban Reform that we can get 100 acres of solar on, on Rikers Island, enough to close all of, most of the peaker plants that have opened in the last 20 years. We need to start thinking about how we close those beakers plants. Someone brought them up tonight. Those beaker plants, many of them were opened about 19 years ago. We were told at the time for reliability, which is the same word that Canada's is using as part of this rate case. The same word verbiage, reliability, that we had to open these beaker plants. But don't worry, they were only going to be open for three years. They were all open in environmental justice neighborhoods here in Queens, next to the Queensbridge houses, the Ravenswood houses, and the Astoria houses. 19 years ago, if you were born that year, you're now old enough to vote. Those beaker plants are still in full operation. We need to close them. That's how we we think about power in the 21st century, and we start creating that power in our own neighborhoods, and then have those who are formerly incarcerated on Rikers get job training to work there. That's what we need. That's the energy future that we need. It's not natural gas. It's not what National Grid and, and Connison is selling us. It's us coming up with a real energy future for ourselves. 
That was Council Member Costa Constantinides last night at the Public Power Town Hall in Astoria. Um, as he brought up, uh, Con Edison is proposing to expand frat gas infrastructure as part of their rate case. Um, they're claiming that some of it, they're claiming that they need it um, because the Williams Pipeline might not get built. Um, as he mentioned, Con Ed and National Grid both have been pushing for this pipeline, which would bring frat gas from Pennsylvania into New York City without even having proven ever that there's a need for this gas. Um, National Grid went as far as sending really misleading emails to their own customers trying to get them to comment on this. Um, Patrick, you kind of talked about how, you know, a lot of your views about, you know, our current economic system uh, began around, you know, climate change and working um, with frac gas. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, your history with that and how it relates to what's happening now? Yeah, certainly. So um, it's funny to think of in this political moment, but it really wasn't that long ago that, um, you know, New York City and New York State were both talking about uh, fracked gas as a bridge fuel, you know, even though we know that fracked gas is anything but it is, you know, absolutely um, fundamentally destructive to the lives and livelihoods of people at the point of extraction. And, um, you know, it, it it is a greenhouse gas that is over 80 times worse um, than carbon dioxide when it, you know, releases into the atmosphere. So um, we began opposing that. Um, and over time, we started to see and I started to see how really, at every point, the fossil fuel economy is uh, destructive to the lives of uh, low-income people and black, black and brown people, not just in the city, but all over the world. And um, that is uh, inextricable from the system of uh, global capitalism that we live in. Um, and, you know, it is, abs it is the commodity upon which fossil fuels are the commodity upon which all other commodities depend. Um, and so... Yeah, that's sort of a, a long, <laughs> I guess that's, that's, you know, there's a lot that we could go, a lot of roads we could go down there. But, um, but that's sort of how I started thinking about these. And, you know, I see the current movement to take the utility system out of private hands and say there's some things that should not be a uh, private commodity um, as, you know, part of that larger work. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you brought up this, you know, conversion from oil to gas and this idea that frat gas is the bridge fuel because a lot of people last night were saying like, well, what has Kana spent our money on, you know, in these pass rate cases? Like what are they, they keep raising our rates. What And a lot of that was to convert people from oil to gas and it makes sense for them, right? You know, if we have renewable energy, you know, they might not be able to own that. I mean, they actually can't own generation currently with our laws. So for them to need, you know, to have a product to deliver, they need fossil fuel still. So for them, you know, this idea of frat gas was a way to keep their business model alive. But we know there are alternatives. You know, they might be saying that they're that we need gas, that, you know, these things aren't ready. But can you talk a little bit about what the alternatives are? Absolutely. So um, we believe that there are incredibly underutilized possibilities with respect to distributed renewable generation um, across this across the state. So the Public Service Commission has in place currently a uh, a value of solar power that really doesn't work for many uh, New Yorkers and many small renewable businesses. Um, we want to see. We believe that if that were changed, it would unlock uh, the possibility for solar in many, many more parts of the state than there are now. 
Um, we're excited to see the recent news around commitments to offshore wind. And, you know, the one thing we don't need is more fossil fuel infrastructure. And I think, you know, one thing that's really exciting about this transition is, you know, really the ability for people to own their own power and have community owned renewable energy. And, you know, and because of all these blackouts, we've heard Governor Cuomo say, like, well, maybe, you know, Con Ed isn't too big to fail. We could take them over. We've even had, you know, Mayor de Blasio saying the government should take it over. But, you know, I'm guessing that their vision of, you know, taking this over isn't exactly, you know, maybe what we, we, we have in mind. So kind of what are some of the long-term goals of the public power campaign? Well, I think that the long-term goals of the public power campaign, you know, it's right there in the name. It's public power for New York City. And, you know, that can look like a number of different things um, as we work toward that goal of a completely public energy system. Um, you know, and I would just say very quickly that this isn't a new thing when we look at how, for instance, the major successes of the Tennessee Valley Authority, we see how it was the rural electrical cooperatives and other groups that came together to own the actual distribution mechanism. Those were the mechanisms that were the most successful in terms of electrifying the South. We think that, you know, with the, mo the Green New Deal moment, um, we could begin talking along those lines here in New York as well. There's also signs like the um, movement to uh, shut down Rikers and convert to renewable infrastructure, which I believe you mentioned that we're really excited about. Um, there's so much that can be done with the uh, New York City Housing Authority in terms of, you know, both not just common sense energy efficiency measures, but also, um, you know, greater solar and greater renewable power there. Um, so there is, you know, there's really so much to be done, but I think it is all with an eye toward a broad vision of public power. If people want to get involved, they can go to publicpower.nyc and get signed up, and that's how you can find out about our next meeting. We would love to see you. Yeah, and what comes next with this Con Ed rate case? So um, we, the energy, just the Energy Democracy Alliance for a moment, the Energy Democracy Alliance is not actually a party to that rate case. Um, I know that, uh, and, and therefore, I, I say that because I have not been in the rooms um, for the actual decisions that are being made. So there may be, you know, other members of the uh, Democratic Socialist Eco-Socialist group who are able to speak to this, um, able to speak to this better. But my understanding is that um, we are in process of submitting testimony, um, getting that in, and moving on to the next phase whereby the judge will make a decision, I believe, towards the end of the year. So we still have, you know, the rate case is still very much open and still very much in play. Yeah. And what, you know, kind of one thing that's happening right now, it's begun the settlement process. So um, I'm actually a, a party to that, so I can't talk about what's happening in that room, but it is very important for um, for the pub for the public service commission to hear what people want um, from you know from ratepayers. What is it that you want Con Ed to spend money on? What is it that you don't want them to spend money on? Um, because right now there's not a lot of public representation in the room. Uh, it's you know a lot of a lot of older white dudes in in suits. <laughs> um, and so you know it's kind of this campaign has started with the rate case. And how will the public power campaign kind of build off of this? Well, I think one of the things that was most exciting to see last night was to see a lot of people who'd never come to a meeting before, um, you know, speaking up and speaking out uh, in front of other members of their communities, in front of elected officials and saying, look, I've lived here all my life. Um, this is completely unacceptable and something has to change. And I believe in a, uh, you know, bottom up theory of power. That is how we're going to grow. Um, and that is how we are going to uh, grow the kind of power necessary to make the transformations that are commensurate with what we need. And so 
I'm having conversations with other members of the working group to engage in, uh, you know, training and organizing people who have been, you know, impacted by the, uh, you know, rate hikes and by the blackouts and by all the different ways in which, um, you know, Con Ed has been impacting New Yorkers. Um, I see that work as really fundamental to anything that we do next. Um, and keep uh, keep showing up for meetings. Keep watching the skies. It's going to be an exciting fall. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM. Um, very soon, we'll be opening up the phone lines to listeners like you. But before we do that, just another reminder that we are in our second day of our summer funding pledge. And we, you know, can't be on the air without listeners like you. So uh, you can call 516-620-3602 to become a WBAI buddy. You can pledge as little as $5. um, And you can also, uh, if you want to go online, if that's easier for you, um, the website is give the number two WBAI.org. Again, that's give to the number two WBAI.org. Or, you know, if you're listening right now online or on your phone and you've got your phone in your hand, uh, you can text WBAI to 41444. And again, if you want to call in, the number is 516. 516- 620-3602. You know, we couldn't be on air doing this kind of content, having these conversations uh, without listeners like you. And we deeply appreciate you keeping us on the air. So please, please pitch in so we can continue to talk about things like public power um, and all the amazing organizing that New York City Democratic Socialists are doing across the city. Um, and now we'd really love to hear from you, our listeners, our funders. Um, did your power go out this week? What did you experience? Um, you can call in at 212-209-2877. Uh, let us know if your power went out. Did you lose food? Were you hot? You know, what did you experience? So again, that number is 212-209-2877. And so... Um, like Patrick, one of the things we heard a lot about too, um, you know, that didn't come up that much, but that um, about this idea of environmental justice and um, yeah, I, absolutely. And so one of the things that I think gets lost in this conversation is that you know these blackouts happen in the context of pre-existing conditions, um, you know, where people are being driven out of their homes and being gentrified and being displaced. And I thought it was really wild that um, Con Edison chose to take. Uh, out of power and shut down power selectively. We, they still haven't given a rationale uh, to why um, you know, they've selected some neighborhoods in Brooklyn and not others. And so um, some included uh, Canarsie in the Flatlands, which rank a four out of five in the city's heat vulnerability index. Um, the heat vulnerability index um, was developed by uh, the Department of Health and Columbia University, and it takes a range of factors into account in terms of you know, how resilient you are in the face of extreme weather events. And One of the things I think is important to think about in the climate crisis and climate justice overall is when you have people being turned out of their homes and you have that sort of social fabric being eroded, 
that makes you more vulnerable and that makes you less able to have the kind of support networks that really become fundamental at times like this and are really a matter of life and death. And so, um, you know, it's particularly disgusting, I think, that Con Edison chose to, um, you know, take some neighborhoods out of power and not others. Um, but it is not uncharacteristic in terms of how they've demonstrated, you know, their conduct overall. Yeah. And so now let's hear from some listeners. Uh, listener, you are now live on WBAI. Hi. Uh, speaking of uh, disgusting, Con Ed, um, yeah, I'm a New Yorker, and about 15 years ago, um, I had nothing in my apartment. I was living somewhere else, but I still had a Con Ed account. And my bill for a one-room studio apartment basically was 50 a month. And when nothing was happening in the apartment, no electricity, no appliances, the cover charge was $28. Okay, so uh, that's their cover charge if you don't even use electricity, right? And... Uh, that's in my first apartment in 1973 was twice as big as what I was living in, and the Con Ed bill was maybe six or seven dollars. You know, and you have a corporate. The duty of a corporation is to increase the um, shareholder price. Yes, I mean they basically work for their shareholders. Con Ed is a for-profit situ- um, corporation. You know, which is uh, kind of ridiculous when we're talking about the commons, right? You know, the other thing I just want to mention, that building on 14th Street, you used to be able to go there to pay your Con Ed bill, and some years ago they shut that down, and it became a retail store, and uh, it became incredibly inconvenient, you know, because you had to either go way uptown or Brooklyn or whatever. And when I asked about it, they said, well, yeah, we closed it down because, you know, they're making money renting the street space. Okay. Uh, I applaud what you're doing. I think the... uh, you know, I, I think what's happening with the fracking, it's uh, its utterly insane and unnecessary and whatever. And uh, I'm sure you know about what happened in Germany some years ago when they didn't want to open a nuclear power plant. Uh, there was a program, you know, the government would subsidize. And uh, they, in other words, everybody was uh, putting solar panels on their individual homes and whatever. Germany is one of the most cloudy countries in Europe. And after 10 years, they didn't need the program anymore because they wound up generating three or four times as much power that way as they thought they were going to. And now, thank you for allowing me to make my speech. I will hang up and let somebody else on the air. Thank you so much. Uh, We've got our next listener on the line. You are now live on WBAI. Yeah, hi. I'm calling from New Jersey, actually, because I I just wanted to – I live in this town called North Bergen. And they want to build a power plant here called the North Bergen Liberty Generating that's going to be a frack gas plant that would give all the power to New York. I don't know if any, anybody in New York even knows about it. And so in New Jersey here, we're going to get to pollution, like we're right across the Hudson, and then all the power goes to New York. And the mayor in, this t- in the town is very pro-power plant. This town is kind of like a cult where nobody, everybody just does whatever this guy wants. And right now it's kind of on hold. I don't know why. They, there's another power plant that they're trying to build for uh, uh, the, the um, New Jersey Transit. So, like, in this little section of New Jersey here, which is right across the Hudson, you'll get the pollution too probably, uh, there, there'll be four power plants because there's already two operating. So within 16 miles, it'd be four gas power plants. And what I really find offensive, like, here is that, you know, I'm getting the pollution. I live like only a mile or two away 
and they want to send all the power to New York, and it's supposedly because Indian Point's closing. So, well, I'm so you know, glad you that can't you can't win. I'm so glad that you called and brought that up. Um, what was your name? It, my name is Diane. So, Diane, um, that's completely in keeping with what we've seen so far. I think that in the uh, testimony of Costa Constantinides, he mentioned the peak power plants here in New York City. I mean, these companies are bullies, right? Like, they go to communities where they don't think they're going to encounter a lot of political resistance. And that's how you end up, you know, it's not a coincidence that the peak power plants here here in New York City were all built in environmental justice communities, low-income communities, and communities of color. And, you know, that is part of their profit model. Right, right. Well, it's funny because what you're saying, like this is kind of like a, you know, like a mixed kind of group of people live in this area. And all the people that are fighting it are in the next county. This is Hudson County, one of the most corrupt places ever. But Bergen County, I don't know how much better that is, but in Bergen County, all the people, that, all the towns there pretty much are fighting it, you know. So it's really, it's just, it's just terrible, you know, what's going on. Really, you know, I just I feel like people don't even know about this plant. You know, the mayor, like he keeps it on the down low, but he, you know, he really wants it badly. So, yeah, and we do know about it here in New York City. And um, I know a lot of people that will be organizing for what we can do, which is to try to get New York to stop the transmission lines. You know, if they don't approve those, it won't be built. So we will be with you in solidarity here. We've got another listener on the line. You are now live on WBAI. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Really good, thanks. Um, Hey, I actually work in the gas and power business. And I, I listen to your show because I really want to understand all perspectives. Uh, a couple things you might want to uh, watch out for. One problem that's going to remain is electricity won't boil water. You, you, until somebody invents something new, you need a fossil fuel to boil water so you can get heat in your house or apartment building and hot water to take a hot shower. So that's just a, that's just a thorny problem that's got to be solved. Another one is I'm driving through uh, Jersey City right now. The sun's not shining and the wind's not blowing, and nobody has invented the big batteries yet. So until the batteries are invented, you're going to have to lean on natural gas to create electricity because the renewables won't be there. And the last thing on the fixed rates, if you want to change the cost recovery, you got to change more than the rates. You basically got to change accounting and finance and lending because fixed rates recover millions and millions of dollars of capital costs that were based on borrowings and the money was lent So based on those fixed rates. So if they don't get the fixed rate, nobody's going to lend the money, then they can't do anything. So I would encourage you to look at both sides and really study these issues so we can work together. Well, thank That's you so much for no. Thank you so much for calling in and having that perspective. Um, I know that Lee probably has a number of things to say as well, but um, just for now, I'll say that if you look at the numbers coming out of the Energy Information Administration, we waste half of the energy in the energy system as it is. So when it comes to the necessity of any kind of fossil fuel as a bridge fuel. There's efficiency measures and all along, you know, you you work in the industry, so I don't need to tell you this, all along the chain from generation to transportation to distribution um, that we could be mitigating against. And it's these charges that go to the private utilities that go into the hands of the uh, think tanks and lobbying groups and all of the model legislation to oppose 
common sense energy efficiency measures um, that would address the very problem that you're describing. Lee, I'm sure that you had other responses as well. Yeah, and mostly just respond to that thing about financing. I think, you know, that shows one of the big problems with the system right now. You know, this idea of capitalism and having to return all this money to investors and shareholders instead of this idea of just us owning our power, which we could do much more efficiently. We don't have to pay for big CEO salaries all that kind of stuff um, and you know being in the room and listening to a lot of how the finance is being discussed I just think it really it's not hitting the point and it's not hitting the urgency of, of, of what we need um, and so you've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBI. Thank you, Patrick, so much for uh, being on today. I just want to leave. So pe- great to be on, Lee. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to leave people, um, you know, you can go to publicpower.nyc to get involved in their campaign. Uh, you can also go to saneenergy.org utilities. And we have some forms where you can submit a comment to let the Public Service Commission know what you would like to see. And um, also National Grid has now opened up a rate case as well. There'll be hearings um, on July 31st in Brooklyn. There'll be hearings in um, Nassau. So go to those websites, get involved, and you can find out more about the National Grid rate case coming up as well. And we'll uh, talk to you all next week.